You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories, so much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wheels in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. One of my favorite things to eat while out on the water is either beef jerky or snack sticks. And my favorite place to get this is bourgeoismeatmarket.com. That's right, guys. This is some really good stuff. They don't use any nitrates or preservatives. It comes from one of the oldest meat markets in the world with over 130 years in existence and their fourth generation taking over now. I really want to get the word out about their product and how easy it is to go on their website, order what you want, and leave it on your boat. So go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's right, guys. Go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's bourgeoismeatmarket.com. B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S meatmarket.com. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Town Talks. I'm actually uh, doing a little bit different episode this time. It's not all based on fishing. I'm sure we'll talk about fishing a little bit, but I'm here at the Bourgeois Meat Market in uh, Thibodeau, Louisiana, and I've got uh, Shane Thibodeau and uh, Beau Bourgeois with me right now, and we're here at their new um, new location. How long has this place been open, guys? A while now, since uh, March since march wow it's and i just got to take a, a a tour of the whole facility and it's really amazing i've never been to anything like this so it's, it's super cool but they they do a, anything you guys are fourth generation butchers right yeah fourth generation butchers and um this uh when 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 did the bourgeois meat market start do you guys um or you guys can take it wherever y'all want but i think that's a pretty cool introduction to question so yeah so our our uh our famous date is 1891 um our great grandfather the story i heard was he started as a butcher uh, apprentice at a little shop in thibodeau some somewhere near downtown thibodeau mm-hmm. um and did that for a while i don't know exactly the turning after that i don't know what what happened with the turnover after that but um i guess he officially opened up his shop in 1891 um right across the street from where our old location is now in my my grandfather's uh front yard basically um so he had you know just a little kind of out building in the yard a shed a little barn and um and he started there and he would he would kind of slaughter pigs and cows Mm-hmm. and do like horse and buggy and go kind of door-to-door sales until it was all gone um wow. and that's that's kind of how it that's the way the story's told and um you know whatever he couldn't sell in a package to someone's house wh- whether it was a standing family order like you know this family always had their whatever they got a quarter of a pig or a quarter of a cow or you know a couple 
chops, couple steaks, um, whatever wasn't sellable like that is a byproduct. So kind of started getting into making, um, you know, the products that everyone loves today, the sausages and the boudins and finding ways to make more with what you got, right? Just how else can you use everything? Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of keep that tradition open. Um, So there's very little waste in in all this stuff? Yes, really. And some of our, um, you know, some of our best products kind of come from that idea, like figure out a, a new cool way to use you know, right. to use a byproduct. Right. What about like the bones? Like, what do you guys do with that? Well, we uh, we actually were throwing away bones for a very long time really? um, until we went to a processing convention in uh, I think it was Chicago. Went to a big processing expo looking for equipment for this place. We we're just looking for uh, you know, trying to figure out what we were going to use here, and um, we went to a pet treat seminar. Mm-hmm. And the guy was basically saying, if you're not if you're not in the pet treat industry, you're waste you're throwing away you know thousands of dollars. So we kind of brainstormed, and the second we got back, we we're like, okay, we gotta start, we gotta stop throwing away those some of these bones we've been doing, and uh, we started salting them and uh, throwing them in a the smoker, mm-hmm. and now we sell popsicles. Really, a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them. That's and, pretty uh, cool. Papa was pretty mad to hear how well we did with them <laughs> <laughs> after all those years of throwing them away. Well, I can imagine people love their dogs. These yeah. Days. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. We're, we haven't really tapped into it as much as we should, you know. But right, there's room for there's room for more. Right, right. Wow. And um, so you guys are the fourth generation and I guess every generation kind of just tries to do it better as of everything, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the name of the game. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not really the case in our situation. Um, <laughs> we try not to do better. We try to keep everything the same. Uh, I think that's kind of what sets us apart. Um, you know, the way that we've been doing things today or the way that we've been doing things, uh, you know, since my grandfather and great grandfather uh, came up with the recipes and the way to do it, um, it it's pretty cool. So to kind of, um, yeah, I wish I wish y'all could have met my grandfather. His name was Lester. He passed away a couple years ago at 96, but uh, he was a firecracker, and wow. he used to he would ride his bike across the street because he lived across the street from the old market um, a few times a day. And uh, he would come mess with us, mess with the customers. And, yeah, when he found out we were selling bones, boy, he was lit. <laughs> we did some math for him real quick. Why, why was he Why was he mad about it? <laughs> because he ran the meat market. Um, so he took over after uh, he got back from serving in World War II until the late 80s when he sold it to my dad. So, uh, you know, he's... He's trying to figure out how many bones he threw away in that 40 or 50 years. <laughs> yeah. I guess it comes down to like a profit thing, right? Yeah. Like, you, know, you can figure out how to make more. But I guess that's an example of how you guys have done it better. <laughs> or yeah. Add it yeah, to it, so. you know, you keep it the same and yeah. keep the tradition going the same because uh, the, the way that you guys are making all this stuff is, has stayed the same, right? Same. The smokers yeah. and... Yep. I mean, I saw the actual wood <laughs> that you guys are putting in these things. Right. I mean, it's very, uh, very cool. But um, what is y'all's like? Uh, I guess your your biggest selling product here that people would love. It's the jerky. We're I think we're uh, I think we're known first for the jerky. Like just our brand, our our logo out in town. I think people immediately think about the jerky. Um, the locals, locals. You know, for for locals we're just the place to go shopping you know they're on the way home from work and they're yeah. stopping to cook for tonight like it's just a normal man i wish it, i had a place like yeah this in my it's world. it's not it's not a uh it's not like a big destination for a lot of people it's just this is where they they're gonna get it um, right so that's pretty cool we, that we can kind of tap into both like we are a special out of the way destination from people you know and uh, Lafayette, Baton Rouge. They when they're passing through, they they do know we're here and they plan on stopping, and it's special for them. You know, mm-hmm. come get some some jerky, and uh and they kind of keep it that way. Like that's their special little treat when they're on the road. Yeah. Um, but for others, it's just 
it's not that. It's just normal life, you know. You just right. got to get some ground meat. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, some of your other products, like, I, th- I always find, like, whenever I first came to Louisiana as a charter captain, somebody asked me if I wanted to try hoghead cheese. And I was like, man, I'm sure, I don't really know what that is. But, you know, I tried it. But, like, wh- what's the process? Like, how do you make hoghead cheese? And for a lot of people that listen to this show, I'm sure I've never tried it or even know what it is. So what is hoghead cheese? Hogshead cheese is, uh, well, traditionally, it, it goes back to, to the boucherie, and this kind of goes back even farther to, uh, to like, the time of my great-grandfather. His name was uh, Valerie Jean-Baptiste Bourgeois, by the way. <laughs> um, but he, um, you know, back in those days, there was no refrigeration, which is why he had to go door-to-door. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to sell everything that day, and, you know, people weren't buying more than they can cook because there were there was no way to save it so um that yeah so let's let's talk about a boucherie so a boucherie you know families or, or people would raise their own pigs or, or whatever it might be but for a boucherie is pigs and when you're ready to slaughter it you you couldn't you couldn't eat the whole pig by yourself so you'd have the whole family come over you'd slaughter it and you'd process it and use all of it and then it would divvy out you know you, you'd eat some there and it would divvy out to everybody so that it could be consumed and, and nothing was wasted in those days so um you know of course you'd make sausage you'd make roasts you'd make steaks and pork chops and all that good stuff but some of the parts like the head and the ears and the feet and whatever couldn't get made into sausage and and some of these other things you would make uh hogshead cheese so you cook it down for a long time in a pot with some water it once it's falling off of the bone you uh you take all the meat and the <laughs> edible parts and you just season it up and add some uh, some greens usually some onions or green onions whatever whatever was growing at the time and uh you'd let it you just let it kind of sit in jail um all the collagen and the fat from all those yeah, would make different bits good. and pieces kind of would harden it um, so that's traditionally how hogshead cheese was made, but nowadays um, we can't really get enough pig heads to make enough hogshead cheese, so uh, we use pork roast. Um, but pork yeah. roast and the collagen and stuff comes off of that. The fat and stuff comes off of that. Yep. Wow. Why Why wouldn't you be able to use actual heads anymore? What do they use those for? No, you can, and you can get heads, and we do put some heads in there, but you'd be talking about thousands of heads really you'll need that many heads. <laughs> yeah you don't get that much uh, so, meat out of a head well during hol- holiday time we'll make thousand pound make thousand pound batches wow you know and we're making that uh in a week you know in a week's time so wow. it's a lot it's a lot of meat and and how and and so then is boudin similar to that i don't even know how you make boudin so is boudin similar to how you would make hawkhead cheese yeah boudin is very similar so same idea you take the bits and pieces that you can't use for anything else uh get what you can out of it but this time you add rice and you actually stuff it in a in a casing which is um like you know the hog intestine right but very similar in the fact of that it's the meat parts yeah pretty much the same you just add rice to it okay that's cool and then and then you guys make something that i'd never tried before until you brought it on the boat with me, Shane, but the turkey cheese. Yeah. And same concept, you just drop a whole turkey in there yeah. instead, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. And that's, has All that been same. pretty successful? Like, when, when did you guys come up with the turkey cheese thing? So, Dad actually came up with the turkey cheese probably in the 80s. Uh, I think he was big into the gym at the time, and he was looking for, uh, like, a healthier alternative to hogshead cheese, so. Really? Started and, uh, making turkey he started cheese. making it. Man, it, it took off. It does... We sell just as much as the hogshead cheese. Really? Well, I could see why, man. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I like I like both, but I don't know. It's definitely a different flavor, and it's a little leaner for sure. It's it's an easier sell to someone who's you know from an out of towner. Even yeah. to even to look at it, it's it's a bit more appealing to look at. Yeah. Um, it's mostly the name, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that because somebody from not not from yeah. Louisiana, you say hogshead cheese, they're like, oof, I don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> It's best to just if not we had tell called people. it turkey head cheese, I think we'd have lost some yeah. customers. <laughs> just say try some food. Yeah. Try, try, <laughs> try a piece some of food. food. Yeah. 
What is what is what a maybe one of the more unusual things that is that one of the more unusual things that you guys make or is there something else? Say, uh, so we do blood boudin. Blood boudin. Yeah, people call it uh, red boudin. Really? Um, or boudin rouge. Boudin rouge, boudin noir, and uh, same same concept as the boudin, but we're adding we're adding blood to it. Adding blood. And then we're cooking it after poaching it. Um, it cooks the blood and then kind of also tenderizes the casing a bit um so it's a it's a unique taste um it's not for everyone but i think most people that enjoy boudin Mm -hmm. if they gave it a shot they they might convert you know (laughs) yeah i think it's better yeah it's it's special it's definitely special and uh we're one of the only places that's that's still doing that with real blood um there's a lot of places that use like an imitation blood um or places just quit doing it all together there were some laws passed. I don't know what when you think that happened. That was in the early 70s. 71 or 72, they passed the Meat Inspection Act. And uh, before that, uh, this is this is all the stories that Papa used to tell me, but before that, there were nine meat markets in the Thibodeau area. And after that, there were three. So the Meat Inspection Act, they, they just required a lot of, uh, a lot of rules, a lot of equipment, and uh, they, they had... They, they created a department where they had meat inspectors that would come out and um, watch you slaughter and do all this. And uh, most of the places couldn't make it happen. Uh, but a, a part of that is that the method, the way they were catching the blood back then, they'd hang the animal upside down and slit the carotid. It would uh, it would just kind of be nasty. You know, the blood would, would drip over the hair and all this. And they said, no, you can't make, you can't make blood boot anymore, basically. So Papa for uh for like two or three years he worked with a I don't know a meat inspector or whoever it was that was high up and they developed a sanitary way to catch the blood. Wow. And so ever since then we've been making it. Wow. Do you guys get the blood you, you guys yourselves or do you kind of get that from wherever your cows and pigs so are coming from? We stopped slaughtering um a little bit after Katrina when they when they got rid of the um uh, so that was in like 2000, probably six for, for for the people that don't know about Katrina. But um, yeah, probably in like 2006, a little after Katrina, they closed the stockyard around here and it got really hard to find cattle. And so we had we stopped slaughtering and now we use um, a slaughterhouse in, in Eunice. So they slaughter the cattle for us and we still get the whole carcasses. But uh, dad had to go over there and teach him how to catch the blood. Really? So, wow. Yeah. If we... Uh, <laughs> If we if we lose a supplier, uh, we got to go teach them the right way to do it so that we can get blood. Wow, that's pretty cool. You guys know the whole thing. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. And um, uh, you you guys also process people's like uh deer and stuff yeah. here, right? Yeah, do a, good, a decent amount. Yeah, really. Is that something you guys like to do, or you try and you want more of that? I would like it better if I was the one that cleaned their deer, you know? Yeah. I really? think then it would be, <laughs> then it'd be nice. Yeah. Do you uh, do not, that? Like if somebody it. brings you a whole deer, would you do it? No. The the rules are it's got to be – it just has to be skinned and gutted. But I think in general a lot of people around here are uh, are slaughtering. Uh, you know, they're, they're cleaning their deer on the ground, and they don't have a proper setup for it, and then – you know, you you only know so much as a deer hunter as opposed to, you know, a people that have been deer. doing it their whole lives. Yeah, so we oh. just look. We get some kind of not so great looking meat yeah. that people so, want. Processed. So like for me, like I I grew up fishing. I could tell you everything there is to know about how to take care of a fish properly once you kill it. Right. What's, so imagine if someone brought you a fish. <laughs> oh, I would. <laughs> I would lose it. So, then, like, say I go kill a deer this this winter. What what would be the best way in your mind? The best possible way to to take care of that deer before I bring it to you. Oh, we did a whole dad did a whole write up on this, which uh, which I think started a little bit of a firestorm on the internet when we posted it. Mm-hmm. But go ahead, Shane. I'll let you break it down for him. So, essentially essentially you don't want to soak your deer in water in ice water and this is a we've been combating this for years and years and uh i say combating because we've act we we've actively tried to spread the message Mm -hmm. and uh man we got tons of 
just headbutting. Um, I'd say it was it's it's pretty much a split fifty fifty camp on. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and <laughs> sounds great. But but the people that won't do it, they're very passionate about not doing it because this is the way my my grandpa taught me. Um, yeah. My grandpa taught me to soak my meat in ice water, and that's what I'm gonna do. And I don't care what the butcher says. Who's, who's who makes it? sausage every day, and yeah. is and is advising you that it's gonna come out better if you do it if you do it a certain way. Um, so th- that's basically it. Keeping the meat dry. I mean, the skinning process is the skinning process. Right. Obviously, so I shoot the deer, and it, I, I kind of read on y'all's website. Would you go and bleed it? We first? bleed it. Yeah, we bleed it. And, so uh, slit the slit its throat. Yep. You bleed fish. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Every single thing. It makes sense. Um, it it just makes sense, and some people will just fight it to the death. That that doesn't do anything. That once the heart has stopped beating, bleeding, it does nothing. So as soon as it's dead, as as quick as you can, you want to. Yeah, if you can, so, if, yeah. <laughs> even if even if uh, like if you have nothing to work with, if you just if even if it's laying on the ground and you slit the throat, a lot of blood will come out. If you can kind of lift the hind end best you can, it it'll it'll help. It'll just help. Yeah, guys, public land, tie stuff. a string around the leg or a strap and hook it to a tree and lift it up a little bit. But it'll you help. Gotta, you gotta do it before the blood coagulates. And you don't. Yes, you don't and have if you to can't, do it. Yeah, it, 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 it'll be okay. You don't have to. But if, if, if you're the guy and you're nerding out about it and you want to really take care of it because you worked really hard for it or you paid $1,000 to go on this guided hunt and then you're going to pay another 500 to get it processed, no. I, I would think you would you would listen to some advice you know right <laughs> but, but but they just don't they just but don't. i'll say this because my dad's messed up a number of caves if, if it's a giant buck that you're gonna mount do not believe it <laughs> just yeah. just don't don't oh yeah. uh, don't slit the throat because yeah. then yeah yeah, yeah. You mess up the you don't mess up the cape right but yeah uh you know skinning it keeping the meat off of dirt and and grass and leaves and sticks and whatever else comes out of the deer i'd actually prefer the the hair i mean uh the leaves and the sticks if you could just keep the hide off of it after yeah um, all the hair really. but and, and we we understand that some guys are public land and it's they're they're roughing it and like they don't have a cleaning facility right. you know but just do your best like just and just if, try to do and better if you keep it dry it's still so much easier to clean all yeah. that stuff off after it scrapes off instead of having a Right, and yeah. would you hang it for several days? I've heard some people say to do that. You can, and it's better, but we just we we really can't down here. Yeah, you know it's too damn hot. We, uh, we advise hot season. Yeah, but if you're like in North Mississippi or something, and it's cold, would you recommend? We'll do. It we'll hang it overnight sure. or until we leave. Sometimes, yeah, you know, we'll, if the weather's decent, we'll hang yeah. it until we leave. If and you then, can get it in the shade, even even down here in the winter, you know, even if it's if it stays below, like yeah. you know, I'm dude, even sixty degrees, we've left it. Yep overnight a few times yeah and yep. it does just fine but if it's like 70s or 80s of course you wouldn't want to let it sit out too long right <laughs> not too long but again as long as it's dry i can't yeah. i can't explain it yeah but it, if you could see the difference um yeah but yeah once they once the skin's off and uh if you have access to a hose give it a rinse knock off everything you can any little debris uh knock it off if you have fans Put some fans on it, let air circulate, and let that meat uh, kind of dry up and firm up. Um, and then um, getting it back home, like we like to, once it's dry, um, we like to stick it in a garbage bag. Make sure it's not a scented uh, ocean breeze <laughs> garbage bag. Um, but contractor bag or something, we'll slip like a quarter into each bag. Or sometimes we can fit a whole, you know, you cut the deer in half. If the and, weather's good, you just stick the whole thing in the bag in the back of your truck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but fill the cooler up with ice, put it in the bag, and set the meat on top of the ice. Um, that's Pull we, the plug, right? That's what we like to do, yeah. Just the goal of once it's once it's sprayed off and it's done, water never touches it again. It's, it's, it's just always going to be better. Um, and we did, you know, we posted a picture with this article we wrote, and uh, we put a backstrap. It's either a backstrap or a tenderloin side by side. And we said, this is how, you know, 50% of guys are bringing in their meat. Look at this. Like, look at, look at, look at this. Yeah. Um, 
and it's just gray and nasty and squishy and just gross looking and you know we compare it to would you come pay you know uh twenty dollars for a ribeye and then just soak it in water <laughs> for seven days. Yeah, look, yeah. there's a reason that, <laughs> that, that that the big guys don't do it either with the cows and the pigs, right? Yeah. Nobody's soaking the meat in water. Yeah, nobody is. There's a reason. <laughs> but, uh, man, there's a lot of headbutting around it, and uh, people just... Yeah, I think I face the same thing around fish. Like, I, I, I can't tell you how many fishermen will go out and, you know, you catch a bunch of fish, and then, you know, all the, they take all the fillets, and they'll whenever they go to freeze it or whatever they'll like fill put them all in like a ziploc bag and then fill the bag full of water or i go as far as to say i don't even rinse my fish off at all because you know once i clean it and the fillet is there it will whenever you take that slime layer off i feel like it needs to be there to keep the fish's elasticity whenever it soaks in water it's almost like it gets like a firmness to it that's not I don't know a rubbery. Just, yeah, it's just weird. And um my brother, my older brother, he's like super good. Like he's all into seeing how the best way possible to take care of the fish all the time and it's basically like you whenever you kill the fish, bleed it, gut it, take the gills out and then you can even do like what's called ikajima where they'll put the wire up the spine spinal column and that kills all the nerves. And then he goes as far as, like, if he's going to eat, he doesn't freeze any of his fish. But then he'll keep it in, uh, like, ice ice, ice and water, the whole fish, and then clean it as he's going to eat it so that mm. it's never in the bag. And I, I think that that's even better if you can do it and you know how to clean your own fish, you know. Cle- clean it as you need it and don't let it sit in, like, a, <laughs> you know, like a refrigerator or whatever. And... I mean, I agree, and I also think that the best way to eat a fish is eat the whole the whole fish, like f- cook the fish whole, either by baking it or grilling the whole fish, because it. I feel like we're one of the few cultures that just takes the the main <laughs> fillet off of it and eats just that. You know, if you go to anywhere else in the world, the main way that they're cooking fish is the entire fish. You know, mm-hmm. don't get me started on that. I can't tell you. That- the number of deer that we get in that's four legs and two back straps yeah that's very very <laughs> so much more of a deer right yeah you and we can bring you guys like i'm gonna bring you guys a deer this year and i can bring you guys the whole thing yes but not quite. please do <laughs> let us yeah let us do <laughs> the whole thing because i that's what i think every time i've i've cleaned a deer or went deer hunting with somebody i'm like man there's there's got to be a lot more <laughs> a lot more on yeah. there you know and uh you know what i like to do like if i kill a deer i heard i don't make Almost none of it goes through a grinder, so really? I'll I'll, debun- I'll uh, quarter it and then just cut chops like I'd be cutting a piece of veal, mm-hmm. right? So I'm cutting shoulder steaks. Um, when I get to the shank, I'll just cut some uh, little you know soup meat, put it in a little pack, and then make a soup with it. So kind of cook the whole deer a little differently. Some of it grilling, some of it cooking down, some of it you know cubing up for stews, sauce piquant stuff like that, um, and then if I'm left with some scraps, like that's what I'm going to grind and make a little bit of breakfast sausage with or something, you know? Right. But, uh, it's a very affordable way. And to me, it's, it's just a, it's funner. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some guys that get 200 pounds of jalapeno, smoked jalapeno garlic sausage. Like yeah. what are you going to do, do with, with that? all that? <laughs> <laughs> you can eat that one way. <laughs> um, but I find, yeah, if you just leave everything on the bone, um, throw it all in the freezer it's quick it's very cheap you know to have done and yeah but here's what you forget about deer hunting shane is that most deer hunters don't like the way deer tastes <laughs> right. you know that's that? why i soak it in ice water yeah i, I found <laughs> like i i like the way that 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 they taste honestly right. Every, i don't know as it's, it's like i i guess people told me that you wouldn't like it because it's like you know gamey tasting or whatever but i've never really had anything that i felt was like too gamey for me you know i don't know Mm -hmm. and i we we run into that problem with fish all the time like somebody you know they say they don't like king mackerel or they don't like you know any of these other types of fish that like somebody will say oh i don't like redfish and it's like what do you what do you mean you know like (laughs) and i guess it's like they want they want it to taste like whatever they perceive as a good fish but it's like you know, yes, this is king mackerel. It's not wahoo. Just like, 
you know, if you're trying to eat duck, it's not chicken. You know, yeah. it's it's yeah. duck, <laughs> and that's the way it's supposed to taste. Spoiled. Yeah. People get spoiled. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, I think there's a new movement for that. Like people kind of opening their minds. Yeah, to like meat eater and all, and all yeah, that. Yeah, meat eater I and how they eat squirrel and all huge. that kind of stuff. I think it's yeah. been really big. Yeah. Um. So we'll see over the next ten years <laughs> if it changes anything. I think it will. I think, so. I think after COVID and all, uh, a lot of people new to the woods, new to the water, getting yeah. into the outdoors um, type lifestyle, like yeah. in a flash, you know, um, I'd like to know how many like new licenses were bought, like just since, since COVID. Yeah, I bet it's yeah. a lot for sure. <laughs> what about um, any other type of like wild game? Which like do y'all ever eat anything else that's kind of off the wall or what other people might consider it off the wall? I don't know about off the wall, but my favorite is elk. Elk. Yeah. Every once in a while, somebody will bring elk in and we and get we'll get some pieces. Off we of get guys <laughs> that hunt that's all over the world, and they'll bring back uh, Nayala and. Bison and oh, kudu dude, we did a two thousand pound buffalo once. Yeah, so. just you know, I get those guys stuff. on my on my boat yep. sometimes, and they, they. I guess that's when they choose to bring it. And I love having like y'all's jerky on my boat mm-hmm. and the beef sticks and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's just a great boat snack. It's so easy to eat and everything. But that one guy bring Neil guy, and Neil that guy, was yeah. man, who, who was that? <laughs> was he one of our guys? I don't know. Maybe I, I actually I think he was from somewhere up north, but he shot it in Texas or whatever. Yeah. But he, I mean, that was some good stuff. We'll man. get probably two or three of those a year. There's like really? some regular guys that'll go shoot one every year and we'll make yeah, there's little some ranches beef, in Texas with all We'll the make wild. the beef sticks with them, make summer sausage with them. Yeah. yeah. You like the Neil guy? Yeah. Uh so actually I uh it was a Neil guy that one of my buddies gave me um two pieces of and I took a piece of the top round, like off the hind, and I took a piece of the back strap. And I cooked I seasoned them and cooked them, you know, same size little medallion. I seasoned them and cooked them identically in the same pan side by side and the top round was much more tender and much better you know but a lot of these like (laughs) what I said earlier a lot of these guys they come and they just want the whole thing deboned and they're like don't you touch those back straps but they don't realize that like a lot of that a lot of that meat might be better than back strap and you're getting a lot of sausage that's gonna frostbite in the freezer over the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> even the even the backstrap is way better if you leave it on the bone and cut chops. Right. Really. And then it's like it, the other good thing about leaving it on the bone if if you get tired of eating it as steaks, you can smother it down. And it's just as good. Yeah, make a little green. It's something completely different. What about like uh, have you guys ever tried like Nutrirat? I have. Now listen, I just, we grew up eating about anything. Uh, we ate a mud puppy. We sm- a mud puppy. <laughs> we smoked what is a mud, a mud puppy? puppy? I don't even know what that is. So <laughs> nobody knows what a mud puppy is. <laughs> it's in the sa- it's in <laughs> it's in the salamander family for sure. No, no, no. It's a fish with legs. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look. Anyway, that up. we found one in a ditch behind the market. Um, <laughs> that was the time, Dad. Showed up at the market. He said, "Hey, grab some rubber boots and get in the truck." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh God!" And then I get in the truck, and he's got a chainsaw and all kind of shit. Well, uh, we went snapper turtle fishing down uh, Old Morgan turtle. City Highway, <laughs> and uh, we set out about 20 lines, and we checked them, and every single one. Every single line had a mud puppy on it, dude. No snapper. How big turtles. are these? They're things? like this big. They're like about 15, 16 inches? Yeah, that's like around. an eel. It's like an eel with a legs. eel with legs. With not, yeah. No, sorry. It doesn't have legs. It got feet. Maybe someone knows <laughs> what they're little, actually called. We call them mud like puppies. Little paws like this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we smoked that bad boy up. and It was good. Picked Tastes it apart. like fish. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're no stranger to just eating whatever. Um, I had I uh, get. I had uh, Nutrirat down at, they have the Nutrirat Rodeo every year in Venice, and they made Nutrirat gumbo one year, and I mean, it's it's pretty good, I yeah. thought it was really good. <laughs> you got the uh, roadkill cook-offs now, that's getting popular. Really? Roadkill cook-offs? <laughs> cooking coons and Nutra and Armadillo, I don't know. <laughs> we did some bear, we did some black bear, we went on a uh, hunt in Georgia, and my buddy killed a, killed a black bear, and uh, we were deboning it, and it was... This is like one of my most 
memorable moments on the on the butcher table, deboning his bear because they have a radius and ulna like us, and they have a wrist like us. Yeah, Very so unlike a deer. <laughs> it's not. It's got. It's not weird, just right? a shank and a hoof. There's like a wrist. So <laughs> a little sketchy. Got thumbs. Yeah, it's a little too sketchy. But uh, how do you like bear? It was great. We did. Uh, we cooked some of it, and we did sticks. I don't know if we were doing summer sausage at the time, but we did just like uh, some beef sticks, and hmm. came out great. That's awesome. That's yeah. real cool. Super cool stuff. And you and you you're recently getting into. Uh, I get. I take it you've hunted your whole life, but you're getting into yeah. spear fishing now, right? Yeah, we've we've hunted and fished our whole life. Um, offshore is new to me. Yeah. Um, and then with that, kind of the same time, spear fishing is very new. Yeah. But uh, definitely my new addiction, and it's <laughs> <laughs> something, man. Yeah, I yeah. could see it. I, I I got the opportunity to take Shane one day, him and his uh, him and his fiance out in the boat, and um, it's so cool to see like people that have been in other facets of the offshore, you know, of hunting and wildlife, mm-hmm. and then. It's like when you get into the spear fishing, it's like you're out of your element and into theirs, and right. there's that whole other aspect to it. But it's super cool. You got you a big Kobe here recently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Went to Grand Isle last weekend. That's awesome, man. Super um, cool. A little nervous to pull the trigger on it. I, d- I decided I wasn't ready to kind of fight anything, you know. <laughs> but in the moment, I couldn't. Yeah, don't pass <laughs> it up. Yeah, that's how you. That's how you know your boundaries. <laughs> yeah, you got to push it a little. How about you, Bo? You you into the spearfishing at all? I've never been spearfishing, man. Dad did a bunch of that when he was younger with scuba. I don't think he did any free diving like you're doing. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Seems more and more uh, guys I talk to in their 50s, 60s, they're all like, oh, yeah, we did a ton of that. I'm like, why didn't you tell us when we were like 10? <laughs> why, why is this the secret you chose to keep? It is. It is. It does seem to be something that people used to do a right. lot. You, you talk to a lot of older people, and it, whenever I was, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, it was like that sport was on such the rise. Like people were getting into it all the time, and now, I don't know, it seems like people starting seeing the dangers of it and – there's just red tape on everything nowadays and mm-hmm. you know people don't want to risk 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 stuff i guess but um yeah i don't know is there when did you guys actually start um working at this uh, as a butcher like how old were you guys when y'all started uh we were kids it is so my grandpa had seven kids and uh, uh there's 35 grandkids ish something 35 so, grandkids yeah holy moly so yeah i got 35 first and like, and like 45 great grandkids <laughs> yeah um so yeah it that we've pretty much all been in here since we were kids at, at like least day, in some like aspect a <laughs> lots the of free where you come in. <laughs> yeah my my earliest memories were probably like around the 10 area 10 but yeah. it was probably a little younger Really? Um, I know his dad kind of brought you just probably just brought you to work every day. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, every pretty much every Saturday uh, until I would see enough kids across the street <laughs> and yeah. then I'd bail and go play with everybody. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I started getting, I, my, I really started working though when I was 12 and that's when I started getting paid. Really? So I got uh, $2 an hour and then every year I got, I got a $1 raise. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that from then on it was pretty much summers and uh the big one was Chris, Christmas. So every Christmas as soon as I get out of school I'd be vacuum packing from yeah. uh like, you know, two, three in the morning until ten o'clock at night. From somebody that like I know a lot of uh people in America never experienced I, I I had the privilege of being able to work when I was twelve years old, but do you guys feel like that's something you guys value, working at that young of an age and, and learning? To how to work at that young of an age or you think that's something that we should still try and push off till people are out of school no for sure i see the value in it and you know we try to set that kind of example we, even at home just making the kids do stuff like yeah. if there's nothing to do make something up we're pretty creative um but we try to get them in the market as much as we can um so y'all's kids work here or 
do no. some of the other grandkids and great not yet. Mine, mine, mine's uh, six, and Brittany's is eight. Um, okay, but here shortly we'll we'll kind of maybe come up with a little something where it's more of a structured like, hey, you need <laughs> ten minutes <or> something, <laughs> yeah. uh, but more of like they know what they're going to do. You know, I, yeah. I like that idea. Um, I know that's what Brody's, our cousin Brody, uh, works at the store in Thibodeau. Um, that's kind of his uh, his his dream is to be able to kind of work with his kids and kind of teach them the ways and yeah you know um, not wait until they're out of the house to do that you know? yeah I think you learn so much more if you learn as you as you grow up just like a I don't know like I I learned everything I know about there's stuff I still use today as a fishing guide that I learned when I was ten twelve years old. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how you like that level of experience. I don't know how you, you know, just so many people I feel like just get thrown into work and no experience at, you know, 20, 25 years old. And it's like, man, I could have been learning this whole time. <laughs> but I feel like we demonize working at such a young age for a long time. And I think that it's, uh, I don't know. I think you should start. I think you become a man around 12. <laughs> you start making those decisions and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. Well, guys, uh, we're coming up on 40 minutes. This is an awesome podcast. Is there any other stories or anything else you guys want to add in to, to the podcast? Yeah, it is a little off subject, but since it's a fishing podcast, Shane's got to tell the story of fishing with Uncle Brian True. at the uh, Big Daddy Rodeo. Yeah, so we had the Big Daddy Rodeo at uh, Grand Isle. Uh-huh. Uh, Every year. It's a big know, family maybe, reunion. We may have gone eight, eight nine years at Bridgeside. Um, it's like the weekend after Tarpon. Um, but my uncle Brian, he passed away what two years ago? A year, a year ago. Um, his nickname was Breeze. Breeze. And he never stopped. So moving. he was a, he was a big fisherman, and uh, he was he's just a fast living dude. Right. He's a fast <laughs> living dude. Uh, he's taught me a lot about you know a lot of what I know about fishing came from came from him. Uh, spent a lot of time on a boat with him, but. There was this one day in Grand Isle where uh, we had just come back from offshore, and uh, he stayed back, and he had his boat, um, you know, like a small, like, kind of bass boat style. So, come back in, and um, he's like, hey, I need I need to go catch a bull red. I got nobody to come with me. I need, you're in. <laughs> so, I'm, like, beat down from, uh, from offshore, and, like, all right, let's go. So, we get in the boat. Uh, we go in the pass at uh, Caminata Pass, and we're like, we're like smack in the middle of the pass, like on a sandbar, uh, kind of just getting wrecked, like in, in a bass boat. And uh, but he's looking for this drop off on the sandbar, and he didn't have a uh, he didn't have a depth finder or anything, so he just used my rod. So <laughs> as we're going, <laughs> yeah, as we're going. And this was all one big bl- this all happened in like 10 seconds but uh yeah he's got my rod and he's just jamming it as he's probably doing 10 miles he's probably doing 10 miles and he's got my rod and he would just jam it as deep as he can and then you know the current would kind of take it back and he'd stick it back in and jam it so he kept doing that he's like as he's driving the boat he's, and he's driving he's like standing up he's looking everywhere just like wired up He's like, ah, oh, it's gotta be right here somewhere. Jams it, <laughs> pull, pull, snaps into the ground. <laughs> yep, right here. Cast now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got like cut mullet or something. A cast like he's like cast now as far as you can. So I cast as far as I can. The sec turns off the boat. The second the bait hits the water, engine cranks back up, and he's like on step already. He's like, we're moving. So <laughs> freaking reeling as fast as I can. And we, you know, we played this game for a couple, t- a couple of different drops, five or six drops. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like going my, my last uh, good fishing memory with him, um, using my using my rod as a depth finder. So. Hey, he ended up catching but, one. But listen, when he when he finally did find the, sure. the spot that he needed to be, he did he did the move that no one else can do. Okay, whenever he took the boat out of gear, he grabbed his pole and cast. Ran to the front of the boat and threw the anchor out all at the same time. <laughs> like the anchor and, and the mullet hit the water at the same time. That's fishing, buddy. That's how you fish. Yeah. That's how we were taught to fish. Did y'all catch one? 
Probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. We were taught to fish uh, at high speeds, um, both of us. Donald's a, oh, he's a fisherman, man. He, dad, man. He's, uh, he's there. He's there to get them. It's not it's Donald Boozer. He fishes on the crawgator with Cuz. Right? It's yeah. not. It's not he, fun. He was on the boat for that big uh, bluefin. Oh, really? The yeah. big bluefin that Cuz and them caught. Um, yeah. But yeah, I remember free spooling. Uh, you know, one of his pin reels on a tuna when I was little, and it was the scariest <laughs> moment of my life. <laughs> like you know, we're trolling or something. starts going off, and I run to, <laughs> I like ran to the reel and went full. <laughs> He's like, no, you know, screaming and stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of time like that. <laughs> My dad um, doesn't yell too much in day-to-day life. He saves it all up for when he's on the boat. And lets <laughs> it all out. <laughs> he's truly passionate about that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, learned a lot. Learned a lot from them, and they kind of passed it down to us. That's why I'm so into it is I want to do that too. Like, I want to learn yeah. all of it. I want to get good at it, and I want to be able to pass it down. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's like part of our culture, I feel like. Yes, and I feel like it's going to just die if we don't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I agree with that. I, I've got a, a kid on the way now, and, and it's definitely changing my line of thought and, like, trying to think of how, how do I instill this passion in my kid, you know? You force it. <laughs> just, <laughs> you force it. Well, I can tell you it's harder than I thought it would be. Uh, so I've got four now. Really? My oh. oldest is seven, and the baby is uh, about two months old. And so um, my oldest loves to fish. The others just don't care about it at all. But I, I don't know how to – I don't know how to – how do you make your kid love something that you love? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tough. Yeah, I think it's just about creating, like, creating those experiences that you – like I think about, I think, I mean, and I and I could be wrong. I mean, I haven't raised kids yet, so like I'm a complete novice. But I would think that if you just like, I think about all the most memorable moments in my life. It's a lot of times it has to do with like big catches, or like that time that I missed out on a big catch that my brothers and my dad went to go do, or something like that, you know. And yeah, but and the just problem try to cre- keep creating those experiences and being around all the people that you love, and then. So I thought that too. So for a while, like I only took him fishing, you know, when I knew we were going to catch basically. Mm -hmm. And, but then they don't, but then they don't get that experience that you're talking about. Like, how do they know that it's a good, like, Hey, this is, do you see how many fish we're catching? And he's like, yeah, this is how many fish we catch every time. Yeah. It's like, Like you have to have a bunch of shit days fishing (laughs) to appreciate the good ones. Yeah. I think too, like for I was fortunate. My dad, he was more into like, like uh, it wasn't all about fishing. It was fishing. It was diving. It and was just being out on the that's boat. That's what I've learned. And yep. and like, like if we weren't diving or fishing, we would just go to like the Barrier Islands and hang out as a family. And so like, it like the fishing part of it, like it was cool when we caught them, but it wasn't like I think we just like because my brothers, I mean, they're not all into the fishing all the way. Like my. My younger brother is more into the sailing side of things. My older brother is more into, you know, like he lives in Florida. He goes out and kills one fish and he goes home, you know, <laughs> and that he's more into that kind of thing. So I think it's just trying to develop a love for being on the water, more, yeah. of, more of trying to develop that passion for like killing That's everything, perfect. you know. You got it. <laughs> You're ready, dude. <laughs> time for time we'll for see. number two. Time for number two. We'll what you see. On? We'll see. I don't know, but um. Where can uh, so you guys with the bourgeois meat market, you guys are able to sell anywhere in the world, right? Somebody can go on you guys' website. Can y'all explain all that a little bit? Like, yeah, where how to find your product? We just uh, we have a little shopping cart online. Um, all of our non-perishable stuff can just be purchased on your phone um, and sent to your door. We send, uh, we send everything UPS. Um, we can like next day air. We can second day air things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for anything perishable, like if you want to try the boudin or the turkey cheese, uh, stuff like that, um, we'll cut it up and we'll freeze it and we'll package it, um, in like a little, um, insulated envelope, throw it in a box and we'll like either next day air it or second day, uh, based on kind of your location and time of year. If it's, you know, middle of the summer, we'll send it out next day. Um, if it's 40 degrees outside and we can just ground ship it, we will, um, it'll make it to you and so you know that's something we kind of 
uh, started ramping up, I'd say over the past maybe three years, is the non-perishable, or is the, uh, the perishable items being shipped. Um, we didn't do a whole lot of it because of the price of UPS, but uh, we kind of were able to work down some of those prices, and uh, we're doing a little better with the way we're packaging things now. So we're able to get like the boot in and stuff like that out to, you know, it's a lot of people that they grew up here and they moved they're in college or they, they after moved, Katrina. I'm sure. Yeah. They moved out of town or their family lives here. So they know about it cause they have it when they come and they just want to taste at home, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so it's becoming pretty popular to, to get the, the perishable stuff. Um, but beef jerky and stuff like that sent out, daily um all over really really all over and so guys go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com right yep dot com um and you can use code tuna town talks in all capital letters and you'll get 10 percent off guys so try to remember that (laughs) well cool anything else guys y'all want to plug or anything y'all good i think that's it um we're on Facebook. We're on uh, Instagram. We just kind of split channels for this new location. So kind of have a bit of different things going on at both locations. Um, our, our main following is on the, uh, on the original location, just Bourgeois Meat Market. And uh, everything else is Bourgeois Meat Market Gray. Gray. Yeah. Okay, cool. And they're pretty close to each other, right? The yeah, about 10 minutes away. About 10 minutes away. Cool. Yeah, All right, guys. We're doing the grand opening this Saturday. Yeah, if anybody right. happens to be local. This, this, for this. In two days. For this store? Yes, sir. Awesome. Yeah. Grand so, opening this Saturday. Yeah. Well, what's the date? Because I, I don't know. Maybe 8th. Get, July the 8th. July 8th. July 8th. I don't so know if this Might be too late. Up. Yeah, yeah, it's probably going to be up. <laughs> a little late. But yeah, in uh, that case. Sucks to be y'all. <laughs> in that case, sorry you missed the grand opening. Yeah. Well, cool. I hope it's a great success, guys. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. And then. Show me around the place, man. I've never seen anything like this, so it was really yeah. cool, cool experience. Thanks again. Happy.